Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast. This episode is Helpline with Mothercraft nurse extraordinaire, Chris Minogue. If she can't help you, nobody can. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Hello and welcome to Helpline with Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue on Feed, Play, Love. Chris is here to answer your questions, whether it's about settling your baby, introducing solids, tantruming toddlers. She has a very vast experience in the land of families. But the best thing about what Chris does is she listens to what's happening for you and then she tweaks it so that it works. Um, Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. So the ways you can ask Chris your questions, there are a few. If you're watching us live via Facebook, you can pop your question below in the comment section. If you're watching live, you can also call us on 1-800-543-772. We love it when you call because it means you can have a bit more of a back and forth with Chris. It's easier for her to help you that way. Um, If you're listening via the podcast, you can send an email to helpline at theparentbrand.com.au and we'll get to your question next week. We will start with Jessie, who has a 16-month-old. You helped her in, I think it was last week, but this time she's saying that her baby is having trouble sleeping during the day. She has dinner around 6, has a shower, brushes her teeth, then ready for bed by 7 or 7.30. I still breastfeed her to sleep so she gets sleepy. As a mother, I choose to do this. It's not a hassle at all, but I'm wondering down the track how I'll be able to stop when she turns 2 as I'm not willing to breastfeed longer than that. She sleeps like a dream at night, wakes at 6 sometimes before that. I usually let her have a day nap by 12.30, 1 o'clock, as she struggles to stay awake by this time. Mind you, she only sleeps for 45 minutes to an hour. I let her have a quick 15 to 20 minute nap beforehand if she falls asleep in the car. Then I'll put her down later, say around 2 o'clock for her proper sleep. But I find her extremely difficult to go down after that quick nap. Should I try to push till later for her sleep? Also, if she fights it, I put her in the push her in the pram. She like my actions there. Sorry yeah. for listening. I'm just showing Chris She's how to push her in the pram. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, sometimes she falls asleep. Sometimes she doesn't. Jesse, I think um, it is true. You can make the decision to breastfeed her to sleep at night. But as they get older, what they do is they attach that behaviour to sleep. So in general, so in terms of it working at night, it works at night because she sleeps all the way through. So there's no reason really to stop it. But what she does, especially as she gets older, she associates it to how she goes to sleep. And this is probably where you get in a little bit of the concern. So it just doesn't tell us whether you do that with her lunchtime, but I'm assuming that you do do it with her lunchtime. Um, sleep but for 16 month olds they usually go down at 12 so if she's waking at six o'clock six six thirty I'd be putting her down at 12 each day and she needs about two to two and a half hours of sleep so that's then where the problem comes because she's only doing 45 minutes and one day she gets two sleeps and the next day she gets one sleep then it's a bit like being in jet lag and she's not quite sure where that sleep appears And also when she has two sleeps, it will affect the way she sleeps generally. So the best thing we can do at this point is just pick that time frame. So we say that she can have lunch at 11.30 and she'll go down at 12 
And then if she wakes less than the two hours, I would try and resettle her. And that's where the problem will come because she may associate needing to feed to go back to sleep. But if she doesn't sleep, she will be very fragile by the end of the day. Very fragile. And then everyone will be fragile. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be some work done um, in the ability for her to fall asleep um, and self-settle. But to start it, you need to be putting her down in a good time frame every day so that it feels familiar to her. And then just try some gentle resettling. So when she wakes up after 45 minutes, letting her have a whinge or a cry for a couple of minutes, going in, putting her down and patting her and seeing if you can increase the time so that she has more time to try and settle with you coming in to reassure her and see if that gets a bit of traction for her. Cool. Good luck, Jessie. I hope that works. Um, We have a question from Lara who has given us a lot of information, which is wonderful. Thank you, Lara. But yes, Yes. pen, paper. (laughs) So it it helps, I think. I have a seven-week-old baby who was born five weeks preemie. He's breastfed and is very unsettled at night time. I am, and he is, currently on treatment for nipple thrush, asymptomatic Mm. both of us. Aside from myself having stabbing pains in both nipples, he is hurting when attaching, especially on my right side. I've noticed every second night he will sleep well for blocks of about three to four hours from 11 or midnight until 7 a.m. Every other night he will essentially not settle until the morning around 5 or 6 a.m. He has had increasing reflux, possibly correlating to thrush treatment. I've tried a completely dark room, a little bit of light, nightlight, white noise, soft string, orchestra music, clock sounds, heartbeat sound, patting him to settle him, picking him up and settling him and putting him back in bed. He falls asleep at the breast and wakes when burped. I've tried settling him without burping, but he vomits and wakes up again within 15 to 20 minutes of being put down. He currently feeds every three hours, but begins being unsettled, looking for food around two and a half hours. He prefers being held and settles well, would stay asleep if you held him until he is placed in bed. He hates being swaddled. He will sleep during the day no problem, self-waking when wet or hungry, but really will not rest at night. He also has a snuffly nose, which he has pretty much had since birth, and the snottiness I am treating with saline drops. He has plenty of wet and dirty nappies and has fantastic weight gain, double the expected 100 to 150 grams per week. I do try to express and bottle feed him when I can no longer deal with the pain of breastfeeding. I would love some advice regarding sleeping and possibly the breastfeeding pain, which becomes unbearable. I totally understand that. I have sought advice from the community nurse. She believes breastfeeding there is an attachment issue, him not opening his mouth wide enough and a high palate. And the doctor who treated us for thrush but didn't see an attachment issue didn't even think the palate was particularly high. Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Uh, And then she says, forgot to mention that on the night that he's awake all night, he's fluctuating between being awake and making goo-going sounds and crying. Right. Well, there's a lot going on there. Oh, the breastfeeding and the pain. That's the worst bit, isn't it? Look, I think it's very confusing because you've also got a prem baby and they're a bit tricky. So... I would agree with the high palate. I think if he had a high palate, they would have picked it up well because he was in special care for a period of time, two to three weeks, maybe four. So I think it's just there's a lot, there's two things going on. You've got lots going on with your feeding and then you've got a baby who's a prem maturing into normal baby behaviour. And funny enough, I was just having this conversation 
with someone on the phone of about exactly almost identical things happening. Wow. So I think the really difficult thing is your thrush and the thrush pain, and it needs to be treated well. Mm. So you need to treat the baby and yourself, which hopefully the doctor's got you doing. They usually give you a one-off big tablet that gets rid of the thrush so that it sort of fixes itself within a day or two, and that relieves that pain level for you. The second thing is that you usually get thrush because there's been damage to the nipple, and therefore that leads to the attachment problem. And especially if he's a prem, because they've got really little mouths and they don't open very wide. So what I think you need to get for the, that sort of feeding issue is a really good LC who can really, a uh, lactation consultant, who can really assess that feed for you um, and get him feeding on the right track. So that would be the feeding information. The second part to this is as he wakes and starts to behave like a term baby, they are wakeful at night, but because he was in special care, you don't get a lot of information about the normal baby. You get lots of information about the prem baby. So I would think that the second thing happening here is that he's maturing and he's got to mature. He's always going to mature. And at some point he's going to, over the next year, he's going to catch all that prematurity up. And now he sounds like a term baby where they are wakeful at night over a period of five or six hours where they cluster feed and they prefer to be held than to put down. And that sounds exactly what you were describing, except you're trying lots of things to fix it. But actually, if you just give in to it and go with it, it will mature also over the next week or two. So understanding the newborn baby as well as the prem baby is something that you have to work with over the next couple of months and that's showing signs of a newborn baby so it's very typical that a newborn baby over five or six hours overnight will cluster feed where they feed every two hours um, you wind them you change their nappy and then you cuddle them and they'll sleep if you cuddle them but if you put them down they whinge at you so what you're experiencing is normal. Go with it a little bit. Get your feeding assessed and rechecked. I think that's really important for this one. Can I ask before you keep going, when, with that assessment, the lactation consultant, mm. where do you find a good one? How do you find so a good one? So usually this um, your early childhood centre sister could recommend some LCs in a particular area. Mm-hmm. But most parents, if the, even the local hospital will know um, LCs that work in the area that can come to home and assess what's going on at home. Um, but even if you just Google LCs in your area, um, they will be able to come to your home. Because I think it's important that it's also home-based, so they can see where you sit in and the support that you have around you. I think it's worth an assessment at home for that. But the last part of this, and this will make it very, it will make his settling very difficult, is that you're not wrapping him. And he is a prem baby, and they have an exaggerated startle reflex. And that wrapping is really important because it calms and quietens their body and it keeps their arms to their body. And that's in the prem, it's more heightened than the newborn. So, I mean, I'm a believer in wrapping. Wrapping will calm and quieten him. It's difficult when you've got an unsettled baby and possibly a small baby. But getting back into that wrapping will calm him and then keep him asleep longer in the overall pattern. 
So I think that you have to consider, really reconsider. Um, I often say to parents, unless they've said to you in their native tongue, <laughs> I do not like wrapping. <laughs> sort of our job at this age and this stage so not the older baby but this age that he does get wrapped and you prefer jersey wraps right is that I do because they have stretch and they allow some movement so I tend to just bring their arms to their body and wrap the jersey wrap around them Um, I follow the SIDS recommendation for wrapping so it's not fancy at all in fact it's the most simplistic way of wrapping a baby and it does keep their arms to their body now I don't mean like a soldier with his arms straight down but just bringing those arms to his body and wrapping really will calm and quieten him and it'll just allow the startle movement to happen but not be so exaggerated and trust me that will go a long way into him being a very settled baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope all of that helps, Lara. And um, I'm sure the SIDS website will have instructions yeah, on how to the wrap. Yeah, safe wrapping, um, safe wrapping brochure that they have on there. And Chris has wrapped a lot of babies. Yeah, so a she lot says, of Try babies. Jersey. I'd be going for the Jersey if you don't already. Chris Minogue and Helpline on Fee Play Love will be back answering more questions right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand. I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one. Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, like a disguise. (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to your questions with Helpline and Chris Minogue. Um, We have a question from Facebook from Megan. She says, Hi, Helpline. My question is an age-old one that has probably been answered a hundred times over, but I guess a lot of situations are different. My little girl, almost seven months old, old, will not take a bottle. She chews it plays with it, then cracks it over. Uh, cracks it after a while. I've tried different formulas, used express breast milk, different bottles, different people, places, time of day, how hungry she would be, and have even tried going straight to sippy cups. I decided about two weeks ago to not overwhelm her and go back to just one kind of bottle, and that's Ooh. when she has started to just gum at it, etc. Trouble is, I start back at work in six weeks, and my work has given me two more weeks to figure out whether I'm coming back or will need to take more time off. I'm trying two bottles a day to get her used to it, but she still does not seem to be interested. Any advice on how I might be able to get her more interested in the bottle? You are so right, Megan. We've probably answered this a hundred times, and every single one of them is slightly different Mm. because the child is slightly different. And I think... The first thing we have to do as a community is start the conversation about babies being well fed, not just one way fed, because because mums are returning to work, let's say on average in the area that we're in, um, between nine months and 12 months, babies still need their milk feeds. And then they get into this crisis where the work's coming, but the baby won't take the bottle because it's just too different a sensation in their mouth. So it is really difficult because I see lots of parents being forced into weaning completely because that's the only way the baby gets that repeated learned experience to be able to take the bottle. So I feel your pain that you're this far down, you've breastfed well, but now you have a much bigger problem. So she's seven months old. Um, The couple of things that would probably make it easier if you're listening to us is how many days that you're going back to work. Because if you're only going back to work for two days a week, 
then I would put more effort into her drinking some formula or some express milk from a sippy cup because naturally by the time they're seven months old, they're more attuned to a sippy cup. And she will get enough volume, you know, if you're dropping her off at 8.30 and picking her up at 4 and you've breastfed her in the morning, you're going to breastfeed her in the evening. She will get enough volume if you leave, you know, about 200 mils or more more for them to just try intermittently across the day. So that's one way if you want to take the pressure off you because by the time you get to this, to get her successfully on the bottle, you almost have to wean her. And what we mean by that is you need to give her bottles, just the bottles, for two to three days. So you might try a bottle at six in the morning for 20 minutes and then where you would give her breakfast, you try the bottle and then then you'll try the bottle in two hours when she's hungry. Then you try the bottle again. You're right, you should only pick one bottle. A different bottle's the shape and the type of the bottle usually doesn't make a difference. Just pick a bottle. The teat size is important. So the teat size should be about, if she's seven months old, about a medium. And the milk that's in the bottle should be warm because that's how it comes from you. So if we've ticked all those boxes, you either have to, at this point, forego the breastfeeding for a couple of days. So you'll have to express while also offering the bottle, whether it's you do this across a weekend where your partner can help out. So you need to express to keep your feeding up and also to maybe put that in the bottle to make it easier for the transition. And then once she's got the rhythm of the bottle, you have to give her at least two bottles a day to keep the momentum going at this age. So I really feel your struggle and your pain for doing this. But if you go with consistency, she will take it. But I think you should sit back. If you're only going back to work for two days, I'd probably get her on a sippy cup. If you're going back to work five days, four or five days, I think you're going to end up having to put her on the bottle. But if you keep your expressing up, you'll probably be able to breastfeed her first thing in the morning and then the rest of the feeds across the day are a bottle. So hopefully that information gives you a bit of an idea on how to sort it out. But I think you just have to hold your breath and keep giving her the bottle. Okay, I hope that helps, Megan. This question comes from Facebook Live from Tay. I'd love some advice. I hold my 13-month-old to sleep still. What would be the best way to transition him into falling asleep by himself in his bed? He loves his cot, no issue there, just wants to be held to sleep and it's exhausting. It's hurting Mm. my back now. He's very big. That was my first thought. I'm like, God, you must be in pain. Um, Just to add, he sleeps well, naps twice a day and sleeps all night from 7 till 6.30 or 7. He's very attached as dad works away a lot. So just me and my son all the time. And that's from Tay on Facebook. That's a lot of weight to be taken on to at 13 months. Okay. Um, There's two thoughts here. We either go full on, you're going to self-settle, or we're going to take this in lots of steps to get him there. But um, usually what I do is take the cues from what you're doing and apply them to the bed. So the really difficult thing is, when he wakes up, he's, or when he goes to sleep, he's in your arms. So when he wakes up, he thinks he needs to be back in your arms. That's, that's probably a no-brainer that you know that. So what you have to do is you're hopefully holding him across your body. Because if you're holding him over your shoulder, it's a very difficult transition. Because when you go to put him in the bed, it's like a falling sensation. So when you hold them across your body, it's more of a putting down um, positioning. 
So the next thing we have to do is that's what he knows to go to sleep. Now he has to get to know the fact that he goes in a cot and then goes to sleep. Because his message is you go to sleep and then you get in the cot. So now we want to change the message around. So what I would do here is I would start each of your sleep cycles with going into his room. It's nice and light and bright. Um, I would change his nappy, put him in his sleeping bag. Um, I would keep the room light and then I'd put him into the cot and I'd sit there for a few minutes just chatting to him and give him maybe a little comfort toy, something very narrow and small, but something that he can hang on to. The reason for this is he's used to going phys asleep physically up against your body. So if he goes in the cot, he hasn't got that physical sensation to go to sleep. So he'll need something. So whether he lays on his front to give him the same sort of feeling or whether he has a little comfort toy that he can hang on to, but it's a very tactile response to go to sleep. So I put him in his cot, um, chat for a minute or two, and then I'd say to him, it's time for sleep. And then I'd darken the room to give him that cue. And then I would leave, but I would only leave for a few minutes. And then I would go back. Now, this is where your back will really hurt. And I would try and lay him down, not easy with a 13-month-old, in the same position that you hold it, so say on his side, if you're rocking him this way, put him on his side and then try and pat him with the same movement that you do in your arms to give him that same sensation as if you're there putting him to sleep in a physical sense. This won't be easy because he will, like all 13 months old, he'll roll away from you and then stand up and then walk towards you. So it's going to take just to teach him, just to go down and you stay with him and pat him. That's going to take you about three to five days. So I think this is going to have a second part. So if we can get you to do that for a week and then maybe get back to us to where you are at, then we'll be able to add another step on for you. All right, here's to step one going well. Yeah. Um, this question comes from Sandra. Do babies breastfeeding need to have water? No. Either, so generally. It doesn't matter what age they're at if you're... Well, I'm assuming she means a little baby because okay. as babies eat food, they naturally drink water. Um, but if this is a baby that isn't on started any solids, then no, breastfeeding is enough for them. Okay. Yeah. Um, Anita says, I would love some tips on toilet training and how to start. My boy will be two in September. Anita, generally speaking with boys, we tend to wait until they're two and a half. He'll be two in September. So I would be thinking that you might be doing this, say, in February of next year, where it's still warm enough for him to run around in little underpants and a T-shirt. Um, but I would think that at two, he'd have to have very good language um, to be able to do it. And we tend to see at two, especially with boys, that in about six months they might regress a little bit, for want of that word, um, and go backwards. So I th the first thing I do is hang out and not toilet train him till he's a little bit older because I think it'll be more consistent and he'll move forward much quicker. But at the age of two, what I would do is maybe get a little soft toilet insert and a step. And before he has a bath, I would get him to just sit on the toilet while you're running the bath. And have a chat to him. So he's really comfortable with sitting on the toilet. Then as time goes on over the next few months, he might do a wee. And then he starts connecting where the wee goes. And he did it, which is, you know, clap hands and we're all a good, you know, good boy. Accidentally, he might wee while the bath's running. That does actually work. That's why they, they wee when you put him in the bath. Um, 
And then as you're getting closer to the time frame where you want a toilet train, where summer's there and it's much warmer and much easier to do, then you're going to increase over a week the number of times you take him to the toilet. So the first week you say to him, let's go to the toilet and try for a wee before we go to the park. Let's go to the toilet and try for a wee before we have lunch. I'd put pull-ups on him so it mimics underwear. And if you do quite well and he's doing wees for you across that week, then I think you're ready to toilet train. So the next week we do the T-shirt and the little undies and then we say to him, tell mummy when you need to go to the toilet. And you're not moving very far away from home and the toilet's ready to go. And then they'll start doing what they call the wee-wee dance where they jump from foot to foot. And then you say you need to do a wee and then they'll start running. And by the end of the week, they're usually taking themselves. But to actually toilet train a child probably takes two or three months because they get better and better and more mature at it. Mm. So take it slowly, know what you're going to do, but I wouldn't necessarily start it too because it's a little bit young. And how do you feel about toilet training girls in terms of age? I think that generally it's still closer to two and a half than two. Yeah, I thought so. So the people who say to me their child was toilet trained at two um, and truly toilet trained, that child has extraordinary language. So there's this real connection between their cognitive development of language and their ability to do it. And we sort of know that girls in general ability for language is a bit faster than boys at this age. Mm. So that's why some girls will do it. But usually fine when they're fully toilet trained, take themselves by themselves, their speech is extraordinary. So they're in full conversation. They can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. That cognitive development is there. Um, Whereas I think for generally they've got to have enough speech to say to you, mummy, I need to go to the toilet. And that occurs more closer to two and a half. I mean, the thing I would say as a parent, having been through it with two kids. And a boy and a girl. A boy and a girl is that it's all about when they're ready. So if you know your kid, they're older. Like, because my, if I, there's no way, they, they pick it up easier and it's easier for you. If yeah, they're yeah, older. absolutely. I mean, I'm not I saying totally, you wait till they're seven. But, but I <laughs> totally agree. So some, some boys, if they're not ready and they're quite distracted, two-year-olds, I wait till they're closer to three because mm. then they'll do it in two weeks. They feel proud of themselves because they've done it. And you don't have to clean and you up don't as have, much. Yeah, <laughs> don't have to clean up as much. Um, but they're actually ready. So I, I, don't, I don't know a lot of two-year-olds who are ready at two. I know loads of two-year-olds whose parents are taking them to the toilet, mm. but the toilet, the tr- child isn't being toilet trained. Yeah. So there's a difference between toilet timing and toilet training. Yeah. So I think you're right. I, I personally would just wait till their second summer, which is where they're usually two and a half, um, or their third summer, and then I just do it, and they usually do it really quickly mm. and really easily. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, toilet training. So glad mine are now. (laughs) This question comes from Em. She says, hi, Chris, we've got a 22-month-old who is really struggling at daycare. She only goes one day a week and has been going for the past four months. We'd love to get more, but there's no vacancy. She's upset most of the day and eats and drinks very little when she's there. We love the facility and the carers, and I'd hate to shift her out and lose any relationship she's built up with them. But I also want her to be happy when she goes. Am I best to 
wait it out or try somewhere else where we can get more days? That's a tough one, isn't it? That's really tough because we know they do better with consecutive days to consecutive days because it's like the memory. But obviously she's also getting herself quite distressed. What you could possibly do, it just doesn't tell us, Em, whether you've gone back to work or whether you're just introducing daycare for the future. Um, But if you're not at work or if your parents or friends could help you do this, I would do a, I'd pull back on how long she's at daycare. So at 22 months, I'd probably um, drop her off when there's only play going on. So she doesn't have to negotiate food or sleep in there because that's their big things for little people to do. So I take a step back. And for a week, for the first couple of weeks, I'd just drop her off for three hours where it's all play. So, and the first hour I'd stay there. So for an hour I'd stay there, then I'd leave and then I'd come back and she's not too stressed. And then when you see her actually happy in that mode, then what I'd do is um, do a meal. So you might drop her off at eight o'clock in the morning and pick her up before her sleep, but she's had lunch there with them. So she gets more into the routine. Um, and then once you feel she's comfortable with that, I'd leave her for what I call a short day. So I'd drop her off at nine and pick her up at three just to see how she's going and then extend it into that one day length of time that you need. So if you have the chance and opportunity to reintroduce it to her, then you won't lose your spot in a daycare that you feel really comfortable with because that's really difficult. But it's actually the two days. So the the daycare might even be willing to let her drop in for an hour's play during the week to make it a little bit easier for her to make this adjustment into daycare. But I'd pull it back, I'd decrease the time and then slowly increase the time if you have the chance to be able to do that. All right, good luck with that, Em. We have time for just one more question. This is actually from the Babyology help page, so it's anonymous. Yeah. Um, my son turned three recently, and while we love him to the moon and back, he's been really difficult in the last five to six months. Initially, it was a few things that he would push back at us for, but now it feels like it's everything from brushing his teeth to having a bath to going to sleep. This now takes almost one and a half hours at night, and we often end up falling asleep before he does. Yeah. To make matters worst, we were blessed with the baby girl number two, our baby girl, two months ago, and it has just made him even more resistant. Every task is a struggle, and most of the time, one of us ends up yelling to get him to listen. We're totally exhausted now and have tried reasoning with him, explaining, time out, and even taking away his toys, etc., when he doesn't listen to us, but no luck. So, do you have any advice on how we can get him to listen so we can enjoy this phase? Well, where do you start? <laughs> He's three or two and a half when this probably started by the sounds of it and then coming into the three. So three-year-olds are pretty self-centred and, you know, they think they're the centre of the world. So that's one thing. And so lots of these behaviours that you're explaining in a little way, are sort of normal because he's trying to navigate his big wide world and how do I know when to push and not to push. But that's pretty exhausting when you have an eight-week-old baby. So there's these two things clashing and, you know, he can sort of take a little bit of advantage of the fact that you're sitting down feeding the baby. So I think in this one, you really need to sit down with your partner and work out what are the fights that are worth fighting and what are the things you've just got to let go of? Because otherwise, as you sort of said, it feels like you're fighting him all day. So 
routine is really important here. So what time he gets up, when he has um, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Hopefully at the age of three, to make your nights better, he's not having to sleep. So if he's having a day sleep, that might be why he's fighting you so much in the evening. So consider whether he needs that day sleep, if he is. And then if he isn't having the day sleep, in this specific example that you've given, which is the evening routine, it could be that there's just too much going on in the house and he's pushing back. So mum's dealing with a baby who might be a bit unsettled because it's the late after, it's the early evening period. And dad's trying to do something, but he wants mum to do it. So sometimes if we stand back a little bit and think about the world from his angle, it gives us the idea of how to change it around. So for instance, um, if he's having a day sleep, I'd definitely consider um, cutting it out or getting, you know, only 20 minutes or something like that. He should be awake by about two o'clock every day if he is having a daycare, a day sleep, a day sleep. And then... He doesn't need to go to bed till or start the bedtime routine till 7.30. So the first thing is we've got to be realistic about when we're trying to put him to bed. So if he's not having a day's sleep, it's probably between 7 and 7.30. If he is having a day's sleep, it's probably more 7.30. And then he wants the consistency. So if we can try to get the baby down in the window beforehand, or at least quiet for half an hour, if he'll feel like he's getting a bit of time and attention back again. So then we'd start 7.30, choose two stories. Well, we've brushed our teeth, choose two stories. Then kiss, cuddle, talk about the day. And then that's really important for three-year-olds to kiss, cuddle and talk about the day. And then he's going to come with his litany of a list of demands before he'll go to sleep, which every child does. But then you're going to reassure him that the world is okay and he's okay. So you might do something like leave the door partly open, leave a soft light on in the hallway. Um, and our last and final one that we often use and talk about is to put on um, the bedtime explorers, bedtime explorers um, which we should have our face attached to. We, uh, we get it out there so much, but it does work. Lots of my clients use it and it really, really works. So this bedtime explorers where you can choose a little story it's, it's got a meditative background to it, so it's nice and gentle and quiet. And it goes for about 10 to 12 minutes. And you can say, I'm going to put this little story on for you to listen to, and I will come back and kiss you. And because you know how long it is, you should come back and kiss him. Don't threaten anything you're not going to be prepared to do. And see if he can then get the idea about putting himself back off to sleep. They are tricky. If you can get him to listen... You you could you could should come and tell us to do it how to do <laughs> how it. To do it. Um, but the other way to get him to listen is ask him to look at you when you're asking him to do things. So look, mummy, in the eyes. I need to tell you something, and then you sort of know he's listening to you. Mm. And um, you can find bedtime explorers um, on the Kindling oh, yeah. Kids Radio app for free, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> there are a number of seasons. It's totally a really good idea. Um, so that's all we have time for. Oh. We had so many questions. Thank you to everyone who are answering, uh, asking the questions on the helpline live. And um, I do like to let people know that if you enjoy asking Chris your questions, if you want to meet her in person and talk to her and not let her answer any other. 
other questions, you can meet Chris at our Babyology Baby Shower event, which is happening on August the 25th in Brisbane. It's a lovely um, baby shower. You get mm. lots of good food and there's lots of prizes. But, you know, Chris is a celebrity who comes and is on Have hand to answer your questions. So if you live in Brisbane, you can check it out on the Babyology Facebook page. Mm. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. When it comes to childbirth, forewarned is forearmed. And so on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love, we're talking about episiotomies versus natural tearing. So an episiotomy is not a dirty word. It's, it's something that we, we do if we, if we feel that we need to make some extra room. So it's a medical intervention where we make a cut to open up the, the, the uh, opening of the vagina a bit wider. And it's always done with some degree of anaesthetic. So unless it's an outright emergency, there would always be usually a chance to put in a bit of local anaesthetic or make it numb. And uh, it's done with a pair of scissors and it's usually very quick and over before you know it. That's obstetrician David Addenbrook explaining what an episiotomy is. He also talks about when they're needed and when natural tearing is best for the woman in labour. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. Our producer is Debbie Ning and I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. Siobhan Hunt.